0: God is good. And all the time, praise the mighty name of Jesus. Well, it's great again, as we said before, to be in the house of the Lord uh, tonight. And uh, we're going to get into uh, uh, the message this evening. Uh, and uh, really, what we are doing right now is more teaching than preaching. I guess it would be like what I say sometimes we're doing some treaching uh, in the course of this. But. Uh, we started last week uh, with a series uh, where we are uh, studying and talking and, uh, uh, on the seven churches as, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, and we began that last week. We kind of laid a foundation uh, for that, uh, and uh, the, uh, the message last week uh, was um, uh, about Jesus being in the midst. And so we're going to continue this series, the seven churches uh, of Revelation uh, tonight, and you be in prayer uh, for us as we uh, 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 come together, hallelujah. And um, uh, our scripture reading for the night is found in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading with verse 1, and we're going to read down uh, through verse 7 for our scripture reading tonight hallelujah revelation 2 beginning at verse 1 uh, and uh, going down through uh, verse uh, uh, 7 Uh, we need to back up to verse 1 there that's verse 5 you got up there Um, we want to start at verse, uh, verse 1 praise the lord We'll uh, we'll go ahead and uh, get started. He'll get that up here in just a second. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write: These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, uh, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have uh, persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly, and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And may the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Fathers, we come this evening. We thank you and we praise you for the opportunity to go into your word. And now as we enter in, we ask God for your guidance and your direction to direct our hearts and give us the wisdom to glean from your word that's what you have placed there within it, that we might uh, feast upon it, and it will be food for our souls. Uh, Amen. And God, is for our past. Thank you for every blessing, and we'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church say amen. Amen. You can be seated. And uh, part two of our series tonight... uh, our title of our message, Ephesus, a church without passion. A church without passion. Amen. Um, the first church addressed in Apostle John's letter to the seven churches was the church in Ephesus. Uh, the congregation in Ephesus was established by the apostle Paul on his second missionary journey and a description of the church can be found uh in acts chapters 18 through 20 if you want to um, uh, take note of that and look through that i uh, at uh, some time during the week or whatever but uh we find uh the description of this church there in in acts Uh, in the 18th through the 20th chapter. Now, this church was deeply spiritual and pure when it started out. It had great zeal and a love for God. They worked hard and they tested uh, everything to see if it was true and good and can be seen uh, 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 from the fact that they tried those people who said they were apostles, but under scrutiny, They were found to be liars, amen. Uh, When we read through there, if you'll notice, at first you say, "Wow, this church was perfect." I mean, when you begin to look at all the deeds and all the works that they were doing, you say, "Man, that was uh, you know that's that's a a, a mighty fine uh, uh, congregation." Um, Ephesus uh, was known throughout the world. Of that time for the worship of Diana, who was considered to be the mother goddess of the earth. the They had a myth that prevailed in that day, uh, was that the image of Diana or the uh, the first statue of Diana uh, had actually fallen from the sky. This was what they believed and they taught. You'll find note of that in Acts chapter 19 in verse 35. And as such, the Ephesian economy was centered on the selling of silver shrines of Diana. Uh, another name for her was Optimus. And uh, you'll find that uh, all that in the 19th chapter of Acts. Amen. Uh, if you remember when the Apostle Paul was going through there, uh, there was this uh, a young young lady who had an evil spirit, and she followed Paul and his company around, saying, "These are the are great men of God," uh, and and uh, and just on and on and over and over for days. Finally, Paul got fed up with it, and uh, uh, no doubt there were times when he, uh, she was interrupting, probably when he was trying to uh, to teach and to minister or whatever, and finally he just took about all of it he could take and he turned around. He rebuked the devil in her, and that spirit left. But um, her owners, she was a slave, and she was a fortune teller because of the evil spirit. It was, she was able to tell people's fortune. And uh, uh, the Bible says when her owners found out, that they don't lost their livelihood, that she was not able to do that molten anymore. That's when they got upset and began to come against. And there was a great big turmoil in the city. And uh, the whole town came together and they cried out, if I'm not mistaken, about the space of a couple hours, crying out, said, Great. Uh, is Diana of the Ephesians, great Is Diana. I mean, they just kept doing that over and over and over again. And uh, all of this is is described there in the book of Acts, if you want to study on that. And I'm I'm just telling you that to kind of give you uh, a little bit of foundation about uh, where this church was and uh, what kind of atmosphere that that church uh, was in. Now, the Apostle Paul had invested much time and effort in laying the foundation for this church, Uh, and it became a springboard in the planning of several other churches in the region. Uh, But after some 40 years, now listen to me close. After over 40 years of being a powerhouse of the gospel, The congregation became uh, the recipient of a stern rebuke by Jesus because of something lacking in their worship and in their service for the Lord. He said and he told them that they had lost their first love. They had lost their first love uh and that that brings us to the content of our lesson for this evening uh and uh, in an effort to uh give you a, the best illustration that I possibly can uh what was going on here uh the point that we're going to be bringing and there's gonna the the lesson will not be too lengthy tonight. Uh, only one point that we're going to be bringing out. Uh, We're going to be talking about the thrill was gone. The thrill was gone. What in the world are we talking about? Much debate has ensued through the years over what Jesus really meant when he told them they had left their first love. I have heard it brought out in many ways. Maybe you have heard it brought out different ways. Uh, and in my personal prayer and my personal study of this, I, I, uh, I believe that uh, I have got a hold of something here that was the crux of what uh, uh, Jesus rebuked these, this church about. Uh, this had to be a serious matter. Uh, because a severe warning was given to them if they didn't repent over this and revive that first love, which in the beginning was the foundation of everything they did for the Lord. Hallelujah. So this thing about losing their first love, it was a serious situation. Now, if you'll remember last year, uh, last year, (laughs) last week, um, uh, we showed you a picture of the Lord, and He is standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks or seven lampstands, and He was, and that was that's what we talked about last. I don't know if He's able to find it on there and put that back. There it is, right there. Uh, John on the Isle of Patmos, he uh, uh, as He was there, and remember what we talked about. He said He was in the Spirit when. On the Lord's Day, and uh, as he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, as he, he was worshiping God, you see, you don't have to be in the middle of a huge crowd to worship God and have the presence of God meet with you. Hallelujah. Uh, John was there on that island. He was in exile, and he was alone. And on the Lord's Day, he got in the Spirit. He was worshiping God. And all of a sudden, the other voice began to talk and begin to speak. And when he turned around, he saw the Lord in a vision appeared to him. And he was standing in the middle of seven lampstands or seven golden candlesticks, depending on which translation of the Bible you're using. And Jesus was standing in the middle. And we found out last week that those seven candlesticks or lampstands represented the seven churches and Jesus being in the midst of those seven uh uh churches and uh and so uh he of course he began to tell him and he said I want you to write everything down that you uh that you see and uh, send him to these seven churches and when he began to write the Ephesus church was the first one and uh and then Jesus gave a long list of, of good things that they had done, good works that they're, they're doing. Uh, and uh, uh, and he, uh, he uplifted them for that. But then he said, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because you have left, left your first love. And he gave it, this, this situation about uh, leaving your first love As I say, it had to be very serious because God gave him a stern warning. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. We will uh, put that up there, and I want to read that. Notice what he told. He says, remember, therefore, from which you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, put that picture back up, uh, Brother Chris. Uh, I want everybody to look at that picture again. Now, here was the warning. And this is the first thing I want to bring out to you. I want to point something out to you that sometimes we we overlook. If Jesus told them, if you do not repent, And if you don't revive that fresh, that love that you first had, he said, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to remove your lampstand or uh, or candlestick from its place. Now, I want to show you something. Look, if you can see, see the picture there. There were seven lampstands. And Jesus says, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. Where was its place at? It was grouped together with the other churches, right? Seven of them in total. This is what the Spirit of God spoke in my heart. There can't be, like some do, there can't be just one congregation separate themselves and say, we are the Bride of Christ. For each congregation to be in the Bride of Christ, you got to be connected with your brothers and sisters of like precious faith all over this world. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. We cannot pull Christ Family Church out, out away from everybody else and say we're the Bride. We've got a place within the bride. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And Jesus told the church in Ephesus, If you don't get back your first love, I'm removing your candlestick out of its place. The rest of them is going to be right there. Jesus is going to be right there. And you're going to be out on your own. In other words, Jesus says, I'm not going to marry me a bride who don't retain their first love for me. I'm not going to have a bride whose first love is not burning in their heart. So, we still haven't explained what that first love is. I told you the town of our lesson is a church without passion. I went through a lot of different um, things online, and just about every message that I seen titled, they would say a church without love, a church that has lost their love, or so forth. But it, they don't hit the center of what Jesus was talking about. When I feel like it is so important that we understand fully because hey if Jesus is going to remove the church a, a congregation out from being a bride and being able to to partake within the bride it's important that we understand what he's saying amen it's very important now some of you younger ones, I'm going, I'm, I'm not, uh, you're not going to know where I'm going to, but some of your older ones, you'll, you'll know how old you really are if you, if you uh, know what I'm fixing to talk about. Sometime back in the early 50s, there was a blues song come out named The Thrill is Gone. Amen. Now, there were several several artists recorded that song, but there was one man came, came out, put it out, and after he put it out, it became known as his song and he did it up until for many, many years up in the time that he died, which hadn't been very long ago, I'm talking about B.B. King singing and playing on his guitar by the name of Lucille, that was his guitar's name and he did that song for years and years. The thrill is gone. Now, part of the lyrics of that song goes like this. The thrill is g- Hey, and this is good since we're just one day after the marriage retreat. Hallelujah. <laughs> for those of you who went to the marriage retreat, the thrill is gone. It's gone away from me. The thrill is gone, baby. The thrill is gone away from me. Although I'll still live on, but so lonely I will be. Although i still live on, how lonely I will be. When you think about the the lyric of that song, the song talks about that there was no fire, no passion left in the relationship. Although I'll still live on, so lonely I'll be. Now, if if you will allow me to use that as an analogy, that was the condition of the Ephesian church. They were, they were still living. Brother Cal, they were, were doing all kind of good work. They were working and working and doing things for the kingdom of God, but there was something miss, missing about what they were doing. Come on, somebody. The first love when two people meet burns with romance, passion, and a thrill unlike anything they have ever experienced. Amen. Now, maybe for some of you it's been so long you don't remember how it used to be. And, uh, but when you begin to start that relationship, you just thought you had to be with that other person every day. And you would even think up excuses to be able to get to them. My, my, my. If you'll ever want to see this this pastor fell out, fall out and hit the floor, if I ever, if I can ever find some church members, find some excuses to come to church. If I can ever find some church folks, make up some kind of excuse to be to church on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. Hello, somebody. Glory to God. Amen. Hello, y'all people out there in the Internet world. Amen. Glory. I remember one of the biggest things my mother used to get on me about. And uh, this was the days before there was no such thing as a cell phone. Everybody, if you had a phone, it was a landline. And we would get on the phone after, after being out together a good part of the night. When I got back home, uh, would lay down, uh, go in my room and go ahead and lay down my bed, and then I would call Darlene, and we would stay on the phone two or three hours talking. One reason, one reason why that wouldn't happen today is really not because of a lack of passion, but a lack of things to talk about. <laughs> I don't know what we found to talk about then. But it was all a part of that, that thrill, that passion. Amen. Amen. And uh, finding excuses to be together, find excuses to talk to one another. And uh, I think most everybody, if you have any recollection at all, you understand a little bit of what I'm talking about. Um, so, but for many people, after marriage, few children, uh, they allow the honeymoon to end. And they settle into a drab, ordinary existence. Such was the church in Ephesus. Listen to me. All the work they were doing was merely routine, following out of habit, not from the heart. Go back over there and read. Everything Jesus says, man, I, I know your works. I see all this stuff you're doing. But something had happened. All right. Amen. They had, they had gotten in a habit. They would gotten in a rut. They were still working. They were still doing things, but it wasn't coming from the heart. I believe there's another biblical writer talked that about things like that as being dead works. Hallelujah! Can I tell you, you just wails, I, 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 I This might be bad for a pastors to say, since pastors have a hard time getting getting labors in the kingdom anyway. But I'm I got to be honest with you, Amen. Whatever you do in the kingdom of God, if it's not coming from your heart and that you really are burning in passion and love for God what you're doing, you are wasting your time and you just will stop. Hallelujah. Amen. Everything you do for the Lord has got to come from here, from the heart, or there's no reward, there's no satisfaction, there's no fulfillment. Hallelujah. Amen. All the work they were doing was just a routine, following out of habit and not the heart. There's a lot of people who got up and went to church this morning, but they did it out of habit. Amen. Because they got into a habit of doing something down through the years, but you know what? It's void and empty. It's not fulfilling no more because they've allowed something to die inside. Hallelujah. If you'll remember, God's only complaint against this church was that they had lost their first love. Now, we can speculate all we want to But the sad fact of the matter is the Christians in Ephesus who had, these people, listen, they had overcome Satan. They had overcome false prophets. They had overcome false doctrine. They allowed the work they did for Jesus. Listen to me. They allowed the work that they did for Jesus to overshadow the love they had for Jesus. There are so many people so built up and working for God, they quit loving God. Now, the young man so far that's come up under me and that uh, that I have mentored along the way, uh, one of the one of the greatest things that I, I tried to drive home to them, and I have tried to teach them, I says, do not fall into the same pattern that many preachers fall into. What is that? A lot of preachers get so busy working for God that they lose their relationship with God. Brother Kyle, there's a lot of preachers, the only time they open up their Bible to read is when they're trying to get a message together. And any preacher, if the only time he opens up his Bible to read it It's just when he's trying to get a message up, it's not going to be long that the thrill's going to be gone and what he's doing is out of habit and not out of a true relationship with Jesus Christ. You just want to say amen and give glory to God because it's the truth anyhow. Hallelujah. Amen. So the church in Ephesus allowed the work they were doing for Jesus to overshadow the love they had for Jesus. They came to the place where they were not working out of love for Christ but out of obligation. Let me tell you, God does not want you doing anything for him because you feel like you're obligated. God don't want you giving in the offering just because you feel obligated. When you put in the offering plan, if you can't do it with joy and a thrill in your heart that you're able to give to the kingdom of God you just want us to keep it in your billfold and stop at the Dip and get you a dip comb on the way home amen that would do you more good amen there's what we do for God folks we've got to have some passion for God so that first love is that, is that passion that we had. I remember, I was just a kid, but when I, when I came to the Lord, man, that was a thrill in my heart and in my soul. I was so excited. I knew that I had been forgiven of my sins. I knew that something had happened in my life, and I was excited. And I've seen it over and over again down through the years. The best workers in any church are new converts that's been in the church two years or less. They're excited, they're motivated, they've got that passion. And I think probably what ruins them is they start looking around at these old head saints that's been sitting on the pews, keeping the pews warm for 40 years, not doing nothing for God, and they just join right in the program. When those of us have been around a little bit longer, we ought to be being an example to the younger ones. Somebody in the church, we, we need to get back into the church to where we got mothers in the church, amen, just by their actions and the way they talk and the way they dress and the way they carry themselves, will teach the younger ones that come in what they need to do. Hallelujah. We're saying the same way with the men. Hallelujah. But we get to the point and place to where when the thrill is gone of our life, there's no passion, there's no fire, there's, no, there's not that first love is gone. Then those people come in, it's excited for God. It ain't gonna be long. They're gonna they're gonna be in the drab bad uh, bad wagon as well as we. Wow, hallelujah. Whoop whoop whoop, it's the truth, anyhow. The church in Ephesus come to a place where they're not working out of love but out of obligation. When this type of situation occurs, listen. When this happens, then it won't be long to where you've got formalism and programs that rule the church and the Spirit of God is no longer allowed freedom. You want to know why churches replace the Holy Ghost with programs and with formalism and they get so formal? My, my, if the Holy Ghost was to come in, the Holy Ghost wouldn't be allowed to come in unless they sign a business card. The reason why churches get dead and dry full of formalism and programs is because the church has lost their passion for God. Hallelujah. They watch the clock more than to watch what Jesus wants done. Hallelujah. Amen. It's the truth. The final outcome of this dead ritualism, and that's all it is is ritualism. When you're doing things out of... Out of habit and out of obligation, it's just a ritual to you. You're not glorifying Christ, and you're not being blessed. It's ritualism that cannot touch the heart of God. You're trying to touch the, the heart of God by simply going through a program, and there's no passion, no fire, no true uh, uh, thrill of God for doing the things of God. and you're When Sunday morning uh, morning comes around, you ought to wake up, man, be excited. There ought to be something burning. Man, I get to go to the house of God today. Hallelujah. I get to be in the presence of the saints of God. I get to see what God's going to do next. If you don't have that feeling, you're getting like Ephesus, and you better be careful. Jesus might come and yank the candlestick plumb away from you. Hallelujah. Don't try to touch God's heart like that. God knows our heart. He knows our motives for everything that we do. We can't touch God's heart. And guess what? We can't convict the heart of sinners who visit the church services. Hallelujah. You'll be surprised how many people I've heard say, even even folks that are uh, not in Pentecostal churches and in other denominations, I've had people tell me, man, I don't care to go to church no more because everything is so cut and dry. Everything's so cut and dry. Well, nine times out of ten, the reason why your church is cut and dry is people don't have any passion for God no more. You've heard me say before, and it's the truth, Let me tell you where true worship is. If you're really truly giving worship to God, it's going to come from here. It ain't going to come from here. Hallelujah. True worship don't come from the lips. It comes from the heart. And you you can tell what kind of relationship anybody has with Jesus by the way they worship God. You got some passion, if you got some far left, when the worship begins to go on, you're gonna start raising your hands before the worship leader tells you to raise your hands. You're going to step out of those pews and get out in the aisles and give God some praise because it's going to start flowing from down here, and you can't stop it. It's, it's like water's flowing over a dam. Hallelujah. Amen. It just begins to flow, and it comes out right there because you've got a fire. you got a passion, amen, for God, and can't nothing stop that. Can't nothing trample that. Can't nothing put it out. I'm winding up fixing the clothes. But just like I said, true worship is going to flow from the heart. And when I say from the heart, I don't I'm not talking about the muscle that pumps blood. I'm talking about your soul. It don't come from the head, the intellect. <laughs> And just like the church in Ephesus, your worship from God don't come from your hands. What do you mean by that? When I say your hands, I'm talking about your work or your deeds. All of those things that Ephesus was doing, thinking they were pleasing God, they were doing the same thing as Cain when Cain brought his sacrifice and God refused to accept it. If you come into the house of God and you go through a through a ritual, you go through a program and there's no passion, no fire down inside of you, God's not going to accept your worship. He's not going to receive it. He's going to do you the same way he, he did, did Cain. Hallelujah. Church, we must have a love for God that burns with passion.